This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Philippians chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. If you want to turn in your, in your old school Bibles, or if you want to turn in your new school Bibles, whatever you want to turn in, or if you want to sit there and look intelligently at me, that would be awesome as well, whatever you want to do. Last Sunday, we kicked off our series, and we spent more time in Acts chapter 16 than we did Philippians chapter 1, because we wanted to lay the groundwork for the book of Philippians. It's always good to know if you're going to study about a church, it's really cool to know how that church came about. And so we talked a little bit about that last Sunday, and we talked about the Apostle Paul, the man there that was behind uh, the, the letter that was written to the book of Philippians. And obviously we know Paul, his, his uh, resume is pretty stacked. He is the greatest missionary to ever live, and he is, along with Timothy, writing this letter. And he, along with Silas, was responsible for the birth of the church. And we talked about three different people last Sunday who were one to Christ that began that helped begin this church. The first one was Lydia. And Lydia was a, uh, well, for all we know, uh, she was a seller of fine uh, goods and purple and things of that nature. She was a well-to-do lady who, they said, the Bible says, had a fear of God. So she knew about God and she just needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And, and Paul was able to share with her verbally the truth of the gospel and she was converted and became one of the early believers there for the church of Philippi. Secondly was a slave girl who had a demonic spirit and she used those, those spirits in fortune telling. And, but she was a slave girl. She wasn't able to make money off of what she did because whoever owned her made the money off of her. So she was very poor. She was an outcast in that sense. And she need, but she needed something. She needed that demonic spirit taken from her. She needed help. She needed help. And Paul and Silas were able to help her by casting that demon out and she was converted. And so we find Lydia who needed to be told. And now then we find the slave girl who needed to be helped. And then because of what Paul and Silas did there, word started spreading, they got thrown into prison. And in prison is where we hear Paul and Silas. They were singing in prison and, and singing praises to God in prison. Uh, and and, and I, I would like to think they were maybe singing, you know, something from the book of Psalms, maybe Psalm 23, because they were kind of following along in our church. We just got done with Psalm 23. They knew what was going on. And so they wanted to sing Psalm 23 because we just got done with that series. And now they're in the book of Philippians. But whatever they were singing, they were singing praise and worship to God. And the, the, uh, the prison bars are shaken and they are loosed from their shackles and the jailer thinks they're gone and he is, you know, thinking he's about to get fired or killed and, and they come back and they are able to uh, win him to Christ and he is converted. But he was converted because he saw an example of true Christianity. He saw them singing and he heard them singing praise to God. And so we have Lydia that was told because all she needed to do was hear. We have the slave girl who was helped because she needed help. She needed to be shown something, or she needed help. Thirdly, we have the jailer who needed to be shown the Christian life. And we talked about the methods that we will use as a church to win the lost. And those methods are many. Methods are many. We, we made this statement last Sunday, and I'll reiterate, reiterate it this morning. We will marry our message. Our message is clear, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message never will change. However, we will marry our methods, but we will, uh, message, but we will date our methods. Methods will always be changing. 
The way we communicate the gospel in 2018 is different than the way we communicated the gospel in 2010. And guess what? In 2025, we'll be communicating the gospel in a different way than, we did, than we're doing right now in 2018. It just is <clears throat> what it is. And that's what we are going to be as a church. We're going to be a church whose methods are constantly evolving in order to be most effective in reaching people with the gospel. Today we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 26, and we'll get there in just a second, but none of us like to suffer uh, this morning. Uh, If we had a show of hands and say, hey, who likes when times are good, who likes it when times are bad, we're going to have 100% of people that like it when times are good. That's just who we are as human beings. None of us like having prison experiences here as Paul did. Uh, We mentioned that Paul uh, was in prison as a part of the planting of this church. Here we find Philippians chapter 1, 10 years later. So Lydia, the slave girl, the Philippian jailer are one to Christ. 10 years later, guess where we find Paul again? In prison. He was a repeat offender. All right, He was in prison multiple times throughout his ministry. But we find him back in prison 10 years later. And there's a lot of the story that we won't go, in, that we won't go into. But he, the part of the church was birthed through prison. And now this letter is sent from prison. In fact, Paul wrote four <coughs> different prison epistles, they call them. Um, letters that he wrote from prison. Uh, Philippians being one of them, the book of Colossians is another one, Ephesians, and then Philemon is the fourth epistle that he wrote from prison. And I look at it this way, Paul wrote those prison epistles because he was so busy spreading the gospel, the only time he got to sit down and actually write to these churches was when he was forced to behind bars. We're going to jump into the text this morning to read this prison epistle. We're going to read how Paul uh, communicates uh, with this church, and we, we kind of briefly went over the first 11 verses, and that was just legitimately an introduction <clears throat> to, that Paul was giving to this church. We're going to begin in verse 12 of Philippians uh, chapter 1, and you can follow along either on the screen or in your Bible, but it says in verse 12, Paul says, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident, confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. A very popular verse, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I what not. I am in a strait betwixt two. I've got a decision to make here. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, 
I know, uh, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. We're going to speak this morning and simply, I'm not a big sermon titler, but this one just was like screaming at me, for the gospel, for the gospel. Heavenly Father, be with us. Guide my words, guide my thoughts. God, I pray that you would remove me and my personality uh, from the text today and that your word would shine through, that we would learn from your word, we would be changed and moved uh, by your word, and God, we would leave here today with a greater understanding of this passage. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We pray for all of those today that have different needs that are not here for one reason or the other. God, I pray that you would bless each person that's here today, uh, each person that wishes they could be here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A very powerful passage of Scripture, and we're going to jump right in this morning uh, and learn from God's Word. Number one this morning, I want us to understand this. Circumstances did not determine Paul's outlook. Circumstances did not determine Paul's outlook. What were those, those circumstances? Verse 12 says, uh, he, he mentions that, I, I would that you should understand, brethren, the things which have happened unto me. What had happened to Paul, what had happened was, what had happened was, Paul was in a tough spot. Uh, these, th- this, this imprisonment, you can find it if you want to read and do your own kind of research. You can find about this imprisonment that Paul was in in Acts chapter 28. And so if you want to make a quick note of that, if you want to look into where Paul was in his ministry when they believed this was written, it was in Acts 28. He was in prison at Rome. He had been shipped to Rome from Jerusalem to be under uh, watch there, strict watch in prison in Rome. And so this was about 61 to 63 AD, like we mentioned, 10 years after the church was planted in Philippi. Paul's circumstances were bad, but once again we find his outlook good. Once again we find Paul behind bars. Once again we find Paul doing something positive. Um, and that was, that's just that's an elementary thing to me, but, but sometimes the experiences and the circumstances of life push us to behave in a different way. And I want to say this, Christians should strive to live above the circumstances of life. Circumstances should not determine who you are, how you act, and your service to God. If we allow circumstances to dictate who we are, how we act, and our service to God, we will always come up with some sort of circumstance that keeps us from doing the things that we know we ought to do. How many of you understand that? If you were looking, if you're looking this this Thursday morning, you're like, man, I really want to figure out a way to justify calling off work Thursday. Guess what? Between now and Thursday, guess what you're going to figure out? You're going to figure out a way. You're going to talk yourself into feeling a certain way. You're going to be like, you know what I think, you know, if my kid, I heard my kid cough, I think my kid's sick, I got to stay... We're going to figure out a way. Give us enough time. We're going to, our circumstances, man, we can, we can live underneath our circumstances very easily. Very, very easily. And if we don't watch it, we let our circumstances drive who we are and how we act. Dr. June Kim, most people just refer to as Dr. Kim, was a leader with the Campus Crusade Ministry uh, in Korea. Uh, Dr. Kim had his family killed by the communists and He himself was beaten and left for dead uh, there by the communists over in Korea. When he regained his consciousness after being beaten and left for dead, 
he used, God used that as a way to bring him to Christ. And he was converted and became a Christian um, after that. The first thing that Dr. Kim did in his, by way of his testimony was that he forgave his enemies. Those that had killed his family and those that had beaten him and left him for dead. Which, by the way, side note, that's not the sermon. That's a, it's an awesome thing to do, especially as a new Christian. But he decided to forgive his enemies. In fact, he forgave is the people that had turned his family over to the communists. He forgave them. He forgave the communists himself. He actually went to the door and met the person um, who had been a part of beating him and leaving him for dead. He went and met him uh, and walked in and told him that he forgave him. And not only did he forgive him, but Jesus wanted to forgive him too. The man who beat him and left him for dead accepted Christ through his testimony. And not only that, he began to see many people saved in South Korea. Many, many people. In fact, upwards of 40,000 new Christians became a part of this campus crusade that began spreading throughout the country. Uh, It was amazing enough that the South Korean army came to him and basically said, we're so impressed with what has happened to the people that that are a part of your campus crusade. Just the the life change. And and they were looking at it this way, the discipline and the the way that they're they're living their life. Uh, Could you come and help train our army? Could you teach them discipline and whatever it is that gave them this type of commitment? That was what they said. So Dr. Kim was given the authority and the ability, beginning with the highest ranking officials in the South Korean army, to begin sharing what gave them such commitment and dedication and discipline. And literally, they were able to see many parts of South Korea evangelized through the military because of one man. And and right now, if you go to South Korea, South Korea is a very Christianized Asian country. A lot of Christians in in, in South Korea. Tons of Christians there. But you know, it was because of a man who did not allow his circumstances to dictate how he was going to live and what he was going to do. He was a man who lived above the circumstances. And let me just say this. If you want to say that you have a walk with God and a walk with Christ, guess what? Christ lives above the circumstances. God lives above the circumstances. And so if you're going to walk with God, you must walk above your circumstances. If you're going to truly walk with God. You can't claim to walk with God hand in hand if you're walking down deep in, in, inside of your circumstances and He is way above your circumstances. You must transition and live above your circumstances. I want to ask you this morning, do you struggle with letting things happen to you? Things just happen. And you get underneath and there's circumstances, they bog you down. And they mess with your mind. They mess with your spirit. And you allow, you allow one person, you allow one person to say one thing to you, and man, they mess you up. You come to church and you're like, I'm coming to church, but you know, if so-and-so doesn't speak to me, if I walk by them again and they don't speak to me, and they don't speak to you, oh, shocker. And now we're all mad. And now our, now our spirit's all out of whack. And now we don't like that church much anymore. And now we don't want to go to Connect Group. And now we don't want to be a part because so-and-so didn't speak to me. You know, get, we try to be a friendly church. And we want to be a friendly church. And, I mean, praise the Lord for it. But, I mean, I can't guarantee you that every time you walk through those doors, we're going to have, like, the starting lineup, you know, through high fives and hugs and chest bumps and all that stuff. I mean, I don't, it, 
there could be a Sunday that you come, and God forbid this happen, there could be a Sunday you come and I don't get a chance to speak to you. And if I do that, let me say in advance, I apologize. Like, I haven't spoken to you yet. Okay, good to see you. I haven't been able to speak to everyone yet. I'm trying. But guess what? If we want to figure out a way, we can always find circumstances to mess with our lives. We always can do it. If we're going to be as Paul, if we're going to be like Paul, if we're going to be able to be for the gospel, we must be for the gospel even during suffering and bad circumstances. Paul was put in prison. This is now second time in at least 10 years. There were other times, but this is the second time we're talking about in 10 years. Guess why? Guess why he was put in prison? For the gospel. If there was any reason for Paul to reject that gospel, it would be because, man, I've been behind bars twice because of this. But he didn't let that affect who he was, how he lived, and his relationship with God. Circumstances cannot determine your outlook. We must view everything through the lens of Jesus Christ. We must view everything through the filter of his grace and the gospel. But secondly, this morning, we want to look at Paul's focus. Paul's focus was for the gospel. Paul's focus was for the gospel. A little bit of a different uh, take on verse, beginning of verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually happened, has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach Christ out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's focus was on the gospel. We need to, we need to check our motives. We need to check our motives. Thinking about focusing on the gospel, we must check our motives. We see in this passage two sets of evangelists. We see the envious and the empathetic evangelist. The envious evangelist would preach Christ out of rivalry or strife, while the empathetic would preach Christ out of love and goodwill. Side note, let me say this. If I have to be one of those two people, I want to choose every single time to be the evangelist that preaches Christ out of love and goodwill. I want everybody that walks through those doors, even though we will hit sin and we will talk about sin and we will name sin specifically, I want everybody that walks through those doors, though, to know they are loved and that behind the, behind the truth, there's love. Every time we speak the truth, we're speaking the truth in love. We need to check our motives. We need to beware when there's jealousy and envy of other ministries. Hey, listen, we're a church plant that meets in an elementary school in, in the world's ugliest gym. All right, that is who we are. All right, that is, that's, I mean, we have to accept that. And, and, and as a pastor, as a church, we can't look at church so-and-so and say, man, if we only... You know what, man, they have this or they have that. I've got a friend of mine who, who planted a church in California, and they have been a little over a year. Uh, they've been in existence, and man, they're having tons of people, and man, it's just like, you know, everything looks so great, and we can't become envious. I heard a, pr a pastor say this one time, and it is amazing. Never compare your behind the scenes 
with other people's highlight reels. And I'll say that again. Never compare your behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. Hey, social media people, and I'm one of them, I, I, always, I say this when I talk about social media. You don't ever see me post a picture where like the angle is like right here where you can see all seven of my chins. Like, you never see that. How many of you have seen, it's, and ladies, I love you to death. How many of you, most of the time it's ladies, but there's some dudes, so we'll, we'll keep it there. How many of you have seen people like taking selfies and they literally take like, and then you see them like move and you see them like adjust and like, and getting it just right. Hey, guess, you know why? We got people elbowing people and we got people, man, sorry. But you know what the truth is? We always want to put our highlight reel out there. Hey, let's be honest. How many times have you taken a picture of your kid? I, I, and maybe I'm the only one that does this. I'll take a picture of them like with a present or with something, and I'll see in the background of our, of our house, there's like some junk in the background. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hold up. Go move that stuff. Okay, do the same thing you just did again without all that junk in the background. You know why? Because sometimes we get very comparative. And you know what Paul here he talked about people that were winning Christ for the right reasons, people that were winning Christ for the wrong reasons. For Paul, he didn't care. If they were winning people to Christ and the gospel was being preached, then praise the Lord. For we must, be, we must beware when jealousy and envy begin to happen of other ministries. We must beware. I thought about this in checking our motives. When people begin to praise our ministry. Man, God's really doing something there. Man, you must be doing something great. No, hold on. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. This is about the gospel. This is for the gospel. This is the gospel's sake. Hey, if God's doing anything here, the only thing he's doing is advancing his gospel. The only thing he's doing is encouraging saints. The only thing he's doing is calling people to himself. Hey, we must be concerned or beware when people begin to praise us or praise our ministry. But we all must be, must be uh, beware when people begin to tear down or to criticize our ministry. Because guess what? That's going to happen too. Hey, if you, weren't, if you weren't doing anything for God, you wouldn't get criticized. If you're doing something for God, you're going to get criticized. That's just all there is to it. And we must be aware and check our motives when we begin to be criticized. Paul here checked his motives. And his driving motive was this, to rejoice when Christ was proclaimed. We must rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. Paul continues to exhibit his Christ-centered life by rejoicing even when people with obvious false motives preached Christ. For Paul, the message mattered far more than the messenger. The message mattered far more than the messenger. And let me just pause here and say, as long as the messenger is a human being, then the messenger is going to have flaws. The messenger is going to be all jacked up. The messenger is going to have sin. The messenger is going to have problems. But guess what? That message is going to always be pure because that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is paramount. The message matters far more than the messenger. And Paul, here, the thing is this. If we had time, we would turn to the book of Galatians. And we were reading Galatians chapter 1 that that when people turn themselves over to preaching a different gospel, another gospel, when the message changed, Paul's vocabulary changed. Paul was super uh, open and, and, and welcoming in the book of Philippians because the message stayed pure. In the book of Galatians, they were believing a false gospel. And you know what Paul said in the book of Galatians? He cursed them. So Paul was not just like this, this little feel good, everything is okay. No, 
Paul was big on the message. If the message changed, Paul would call it out. But if the message was pure, hey, the messenger mattered little to Paul. Mattered little to Paul. The fact is this, uh, that, that Paul rejoiced when Christ was proclaimed. We must be a church who will keep the message the main focus. Here's the thing. Someone gets up here and preaches, maybe I'm out for a day, and a guy gets up here and screams and hollers and runs and does flips and woohoo and gets everybody up. Well, guess what? Praise the Lord, man. You I hope you preach the Bible. Because if you didn't preach the message, I don't care about the messenger. You can do, do backflips up here for all I care. If you're not preaching the Word of God, I don't want to hear you. On the flip side, you could get up here, and maybe I could have someone come in and preach for us one Sunday, and they could get up there and very calmly open up God's Word and say, we're going to talk about this passage here. And it could be boring and dry, and half of you could fall asleep. But you know what? If the message is preached and it's God's Word that's being preached, I don't care about that messenger. That's fine. That's fine. But you know why? Because the message is paramount. We must be a church to keep the main thing, the main thing. If there are ministries or other pastors out there who preach Jesus Christ, who preach the gospel, we are for them. We are for them. So they, maybe, maybe their church is a little bit different than ours. Maybe they dress to the nines and they wear you know, full suits and ties. They maybe sing high church music and they preach soft-spoken, maybe boring messages. Hey, if Christ is preached, we rejoice. If Christ is preached, we rejoice. Maybe they scream and shout and holler and do backflips and, and, and whatever. They sing bluegrass music and are more old-fashioned. If they preach Christ, we are for them. We are for them. If they start their service off with a secular song, you know, it's playing on the radio right now just to break the barrier down for people that are unbelievers, and, and, and the pastor gets up there and maybe uses some language that we wouldn't feel comfortable with just to try to connect with unbelievers, and maybe he dresses a little bit like Justin Bieber, uh, you know, whatever, whatever he wants to do. If that's what he wants to do, if Christ is preached, then I'm for it then we will rejoice and we are for it. So they may use rap music with lyrics that speak to a group of people that maybe you don't connect with. Maybe. Maybe they, maybe they say some things a little bit differently than what you're, what you're used to. Hey, maybe the, maybe the concerts that they attend look a little bit different than the concerts you'd go to. Guess what? If, if Christ is preached, maybe they take a strong stand against racial, racial injustice. On this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, maybe they're a little bit more vocal about racial injustice than you. Hey, guess what? If Christ is preached then we will rejoice. All across this area, all across our country, there are churches this morning that are radically different, that are diverse, there are different things going on this morning in churches. If, the, if it is a church where Jesus Christ is lifted up and his name is proclaimed and the, full, and, the, and, the, and the real gospel is preached, then we are for them. We are not in competition with them. They are our friends, they are not our enemies. Hey, listen, there are church, there's, a, there's churches in Durham with huge major uh, things going on with thousands of people that are coming to Christ and different things. Hey, if they are preaching the gospel, we are for them. We're not in competition with them. We are for them. Praise the Lord. That may not be the way we're going to structure our church, but hey, it's all good because guess what? People are coming to Jesus. Let it be known that if you preach Jesus and his gospel, then Keystone is for you. For you. Because Paul rejoiced when Christ was proclaimed. And we must rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. When, when you hear about something going on at, at another church or you hear about this, our first step should not be skepticism. Our first step should be 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, we are for them. Thirdly, and I believe most importantly, how did this all happen? It's because Paul had a unique perspective, and that was this. Paul's end goal was eternal. His end goal was eternal. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Let me repeat that, because we love our lives here on this earth. Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, Paul says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming again to you, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Look at Paul's language, whether by death or by life. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul uniquely lived with an eternal mindset. He lived in a mindset that literally said, hey, it would be better off for me if I just went home to be with the Lord. I know that's not what's best for the church. I know it's not what's best for the different plants that I've been involved in and the, the different churches that we've been able to see. And so I know God is going to let me live and help you, but it would be better for me if I went to heaven. I'll be honest with you, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, parent. Right? That's a tough one, spouse. That's a tough one, younger person. It's like, man, I got my whole life ahead of me, right? To get an eternal mindset, an eternal mindset. Underneath here, kind of in my mind, I see this, that he represented Christ courageously. Paul, in this passage from verses 21, uh, 20 and 21, he's not worried or concerned about himself. This is all about Christ. It's not about Paul's reputation. It's about Christ's reputation. He thought nothing of dying and seeing Christ. In fact, he longed for it. He longed for it. A similar mentality uh, Charles Spurgeon had, and he was quoted in saying this kind of unusual statement, that I, but I believe it opens up Paul's mentality. Spurgeon said this, if I had my choice between being raptured at the coming of the Lord and taken up to glory and changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, if I had my choice between being raptured to the Lord and dying and being resurrected, I would choose to die in the agonies of death. Think about it. how many of you, I mean, you've had those moments. I don't know if you're like me. I have those like morbid moments. I'm like, Lord, if I got to go, like, let me go in the rapture. You know, let me be doing something fun. And then like, boom, like I'm just gone. And so is everybody else as a Christian. And it's all good. None of us want to sit through the agony of death. I think we, could, we would all have the man. It would be awesome. Or if we do, we're like, Lord, take me in my sleep. You know, I want, to wait, I want to go to sleep on this side of heaven and wake up on that side of heaven. But Spurgeon says that he would choose to die in the agonies of death. And he says this, For my Savior suffered and died, and only through this did he experience the power of God through his resurrection. I would like to experience the suffering of my Lord, 
the pangs of his death, to die and to be buried, that I also might experience the power of the resurrection as God raises me up in the glory. That was Spurgeon's mentality. I don't, I'm not telling you that, that, that I'm there. I'm telling you that there were men and there are men and there are people, human beings, just like you with sinful natures that we have that deal with their flesh and their problems that literally say, hey, I'm okay to die. My, my perspective is so eternal and my focus is so eternal that it's okay with me. And Spurgeon even said, I'd rather go that way. I hope to one day get there in my Christianity, just to be honest with you. But not only did, did Paul represent Christ courageously here, but he served the Christians faithfully. And we won't read the rest of those verses because we already read them. But Paul knew that the church of Jesus Christ needed him. And he had a unique calling, not only to plant churches, but to continue his relationship with those churches by leading them and discipling the people and the leaders in those churches. A couple of specific questions that I want to ask us this morning. Are we serving other people faithfully? Paul said, hey, I'd love to go to heaven. I'd love to leave right now and go to heaven. But I've got people that I'm serving. That's a good question for me. That's a good question for you. Are there people that we are serving? Not are there people that are serving us. That's the American dream, right? That's the rat race. It's like if we can climb up this corporate ladder, we have people that do everything for us. My question to you is, who are you serving? Who are you serving? Uh, who is, and it doesn't have to be anything big, major. It doesn't have to be anything that's, you know, that, 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 that you, know, you could get up and give a testimony about at church. And everybody's like, oh, what a great Christian. No, who, who's the person at work that you just make a, make a special note of, hey, I'm going to make sure I encourage them? Hey, who's that neighbor that maybe you go outside and, you know, you see something in their yard and you're like, hey, you know what, I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to clean that up for them. They don't even know it. Serving other people. And then our motives come into question because my, question, my second question to follow that up is, are we serving, but are we serving others so that they will prosper and that they progress and not just for another spiritual notch on our belt? Not just for another check mark of, man, I'm a good Christian. Can we serve other people without going, sweet, man, I just served somebody. God must feel really great about me right now. God, did you see that? Can we just serve people? Hey, can we, can we give, if someone's in need and God lays it on your heart to be a financial blessing to someone, let me ask you this. Would you be willing to give them something financially in all cash without your name attached to it? Let's be, let's be real. Hey, man, uh, you know, David and Bobby, God just laid you on my heart. Don't say amen because he hadn't yet. I'm just kidding. But uh, laid you on my heart. And listen, God, you know, here's the spiritual way of, uh, of giving, right? God laid it on my heart. We, I wanted to be a blessing to you. So here, let me get out my checkbook. And let me, make sure you see my name on the check right here. Make sure when you go cash it that you remember who gave this to you. Right? I love the fact that there have been people that have come to me in the early stages of our church, as some of them in this room, that have come to me and said, hey, listen, I want to do something with the church, but I don't want anybody to know about it. I want to buy this, or I want to buy that. The church needs this, the church needs that. I want to buy this, but please don't let anyone know that I'm the one who's buying it. I love that attitude. I absolutely love that attitude and that spirit. You know why? Because it's serving others for them. For them. 
You know, if I have the option to give to somebody and I make sure that they know it's me, at the end of the day, good job, buddy. You have your reward. I hope they, I hope they like you better. But can we give out of a pure motive? And I'm not saying that every time you give with a check or everybody, every time someone knows you did something for them that it's wrong. I'm asking your heart. I'm asking where your heart is this morning. God gave Paul an eternal focus. And his focus was for the gospel. He didn't allow the circumstances of life to waver him. He kept his focus on the gospel. He was not concerned whether he would live or die. His focus was on the gospel. He was not concerned with the messenger that was preaching the gospel. He was just for the gospel. Paul lived a life that was for the gospel. When we all die and, and, and we're laying you know, in a casket and they, and they make our tombstone, man, how, how awesome would it be that they say, you know what, the only thing I can think of is man, they just live for Jesus. They just live for the gospel. Like, put that on my tombstone. He lived for the gospel. That's what we should strive, the testimony we should strive for from Philippians chapter 1. Christian, my challenge to you this morning is Wake up every day, every morning, and put eternity in your viewpoint. You know what? Because the Bible tells us that we don't know when the last time we'll take that breath is. Paul didn't know. We must live every day as if it could be our last. So when you walk out of your, out of your house, don't leave without telling your, your spouse, if you're married, that you love them. Don't let your kids go off to school, or if you're older, don't let a day go by maybe where you don't tell your kids that you love them. You know why? Because we're not promised. We must keep an eternal mindset. If you're not a believer this morning, or you're not really sure about all of this, and, and it, this stuff seems kind of foreign to you, maybe you... You look at what we talked about today to think that there was a man who legitimately thought that dying was a good thing, that dying was gain, he called it, and you can't really wrap your mind around that. Can I be honest with you? The truth is right now, if you died in your spiritual state that you're in, dying would not be gain in any way, shape, or form for you. The only way someone can look eternally and say dying is gain is when they know for sure that their eternity is settled through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that Paul could say this. The only way Paul could sit in this prison cell and write on this paper that dying is gain is because not many years before that, he was walking down the Damascus Road and God stopped him and changed his life and he was saved. There became that time when he was a believer. And I want to challenge you this morning to be one who, yeah, you know what, we don't all necessarily want to die. But those that die with Christ, we gain so much. Shane's in a sling. We die in Christ, we have a glorified body. Dawn right now is in Chicago getting a cancer, treat, or getting a cancer treatment plan for an inoperable brain, cancerous brain tumor. To die is gain. No sickness. Man, don't you want to live with that mindset? This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com.
please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.